can't tell if the chemistry is good by looking at it. It wasn't clear yesterday. For the last time, the saltwater pool is a chlorine pool. This is the Talking Pools podcast with pool pros from every region in the country. If it happens in a pool, you'll hear about it here. Everything from tips and hacks to the latest tricks and trends, breaking news. We lay it on the line. We tell it like it is because we think you deserve to know. Join the Council for the Model Aquatic Health Code, a.k.a. CMAC. CMAC is a member-driven organization that keeps the Model Aquatic Health Code sustainable, current, and complete. Your expertise is needed. Learn more at CMAC.org. That's C-M-A-H-C dot org. Welcome to the second half of the episode on the National Electric Code with Kelly and Dan. Always remember and never forget. If you're not qualified to do electrical work at a swimming pool, don't do it. Uh, gauge wire that just goes from the light yeah. to the to that. Is that the same thing? It is. It's it's a bond, even though they're using a green wire. So any C code currently and for many years requires the bond wire be a bare number eight wire. Mm-hmm. It. I, I'm almost certain that it used to, and even if it didn't, didn't local codes said it was okay to use a stranded uh, 10 gauge, no, six gauge. Let me think about this. Six gauge, I think it was stranded six gauge green wire for the bonding wire. Okay. So a stranded six or a solid eight is what what used to be acceptable. Where today it's solid eight. So you will see bond wires at equipment pads even. You'll see where they, you know, it's it's not real easy to run a, a stranded wire that you have to try to strip and all the rest of it and slide through the the bonding lugs from a pump through a heater, through a whatever at the equipment pad. But but there are some that have been done. But that that is a bond wire. And, and to go a step further, so back in the day, conduit was always metal. Yeah. Um. You it it might be copper coming off of the niche. Um, hopefully it was copper. Some builders were using steel, which with pool water, it, it amazes me that that was ever allowed to happen. But today and for many years, it's it's PVC. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so if we have a metal light niche in the wall of the pool with PVC conduit going up to a junction box. There then is a further requirement that you've got the bond wire on the outside of the niche because it's a metal niche that goes up to your bonding grid or to your it might go to the junction box and then continue on. But ultimately, it's hitting the bonding grid somewhere. If it's PVC conduit, you also have to bond inside the niche inside of the conduit. So there's another bond wire that's run to a bonding lug on the inside of the niche through the PVC conduit up to the junction box where it then attaches to a bonding lug at the junction box, which is then attached to the rest of the grid. So you have to do it inside the conduit as well as outside the conduit. If you have a metal niche and PVC conduit in the ground. And in addition to that, the code says that this attachment point on the inside of the niche has to have a potting compound over it 
to help prevent the pool water from corroding and degrading that that connection point, the screw terminal, if you will, where it's screwed into on the inside of the niche. Yeah, I've seen that gunky stuff yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's a, a and again, this is all in the NEC code. Um, and none of this is new, new. I mean, this is, you know, I'm referring to 1999 and stuff, but, the, you know, this has been, <laughs> this kind of stuff has been around for a long time, but it's amazing to me how many people don't realize it. Um, I see what we refer to as a six by six box, a plastic junction box that you can buy at six inches square and, and often six inches deep. And in pools that have, uh, you know, a lot of lights, um, you know, they've got we a lot of Pentair stuff in our market. There's a lot of Hayward, too, on Jandy, but Pentair and Pentair is probably the primary one. Hayward might be a little second there. But, um, you know, maybe you got some elaborate pools set up, waterfalls, fountains, things where they used a lot of lights and they'll run from the transformers through a conduit into this six by six plastic box mm-hmm. as a junction box going down to four or five lights over here, then continue on to another one, four or five lights. That plastic six by six box is not a an approved swimming pool light junction box. So that's against NEC code. Um, it always surprises me that the inspectors don't pick up on that kind of stuff, you know, because that's one that we see missed a I lot. Went- I, I was at a pool finishing the startup once when the, the inspector came to do the final. The only thing he did was put this device that tripped the GFI uh, plug to make sure the lights would tr- would turn off. He did that, and then he saw that that happened, and he's like, okay, you pass, I'm gone, and left. Yeah, yeah. I was well, just and like, that's it? You he know what, honest, seconds. honestly, inspectors, I... I I think I said this a few episodes ago as to, you know, those who can do, those who can't <laughs> inspect. Um, <laughs> inspectors are never going to be the one you rely on to make sure your pool and your backyard is right and safe. Yeah. You you need to have confidence in your contractor and confidence in your service people um, that they know what they're doing from, from a consumer standpoint. Because if a consumer is relying on the pool to be built right or serviced right because of some inspector that's going to come by, forget it. The inspector is not going to be able to see everything that needs to be done to make that a a well-built, long-lasting, safe environment um, from start to finish. uh, I oftentimes wonder why they're even there, to be honest with you. You know, I, yeah. I, I get the idea, but it's amazing how during the COVID years, you know, we used to always have to, in our market, it's very common that we have to be on site when the inspector shows up. Well, when is he, when is he going to be there? Tomorrow. Yeah. When tomorrow? Well, tomorrow. <laughs> well, okay. We can't move on until you inspect and pass this. There's nothing more we can do on that job site. So our crew is going to move to a different job site tomorrow. And it'd be helpful if you could tell us when you're going to be there tomorrow. Great. Thanks. So, um, when when you end up getting to that site and then having issues and and you know it's just it's much easier to to avoid it from the from the get go. Know the codes, know what's expected, um, 
and, and go with it. So we had a pool. This is interesting. If you're building a vinyl lined, and I know you don't see really anything vinyl lined by you, right? There's some. My dad actually makes a lot of money doing vinyl liners. Does he? Okay, great. Yeah. Great. So the Midwest and the Northeast is like vinyl liner country. Like that's, you know, the majority of pools in our market are, are vinyl line pools have been for forever. Um, most vinyl line pools built through the years had steel wall panels. So basically you dig a hole, you get these steel wall panels, you bolt them together and, and that becomes your, your structure uh, that's in the ground. Well, those panels are metal. So they then need to be bonded. And not only do they need to be bonded, but the code actually says that in each corner of the pool, and it's interesting that they say that because so many pools don't have corners, but that they always say each corner. And, and if an inspector comes out and it's a you know lagoon-shaped thing, they'll go, well, you, know, you still got to do it about every 20 feet or so around the perimeter or something like that. But inevitably, they say in every corner, you have to have a, a solid eight wire bond wire attached to the bottom of the wall panel coming up out of the ground and attaching to your bonding grid or whatever you want to, you know, mm-hmm. whatever you want to refer to. Right. Okay, fine. Well, we've never built steel paneled in ground vinyl pools. Our pools are polymer walls. Everything that goes into the ground is polymer. The walls, the bolts are nylon, the braces are polymer. There isn't steel anywhere in the ground. So we've mm-hmm. done this project in the same town that uses 1999 code back in the time <laughs> when they were still using the code. And the inspector came out and failed our bonding inspection because he didn't see these four wires coming out of the ground at the corners. And my my guy's on site because he had to meet him on site, right? And uh, basically, you know, doing a little bit of stuff here and there, the equipment, whatever, you know, uh, trying to bide his time until the inspector shows up. And he calls me up and he says, hey, he's failing us because we don't have bond wires. I'm like, what are you talking about? Let me talk to him. And, and the inspector said, everything is bonded right, but you, you're missing the four wires that go down and attach to the bottom of the panels. I said, these are polymer panels. They're not metal. Doesn't matter. They got to be bonded. <laughs> Why do they need to be bonded? Because that's what the code says. I said, no, the code says that metal panels need to be bonded in this way. And these are not conductive. There's nothing conductive in this in this structure. And he says, I'm not going to pass it without those wires there. So, that's we, crazy. We, we literally had to go and dig in the four corners of the pool, break through the, the on the backside of the, there, there's, we refer to it as a bond beam. When you, when you erect these walls, you pour concrete about a foot high on the backside and in, in the overdig area of the, of the, the pool. Mm-hmm. And that, that concrete locks everything together, provides uh, uh, sort of a, an anchoring, if you will, to the walls to help keep them from moving and so forth. Well, to get to the bottom of that panel, we had to break through that bond beam in the four corners. So we're out there with jackhammers and chipping hammers to get down to the bottom of the polymer panel to attach a copper wire. Because now he wants to come back and see it actually attached. He's not just going to be okay seeing it come out of the ground. So we spend a day out there with with a crew to, to get these stupid bond wires put onto a plastic panel. Because he wouldn't accept it otherwise. Wow. Yep. 
So sometimes, um, even though you follow the code, inspectors uh, can can cause you some <laughs> some headaches. Is that that ghost? You have just like Andrea. I don't know what it is with you guys. I'm telling you, uh, Mr. Rudy said that I have creepy stuff that would happen when we were waiting for our episodes to download when we first started, or I first started. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like there is a ghost, you know, sometimes I have to sage the house. I haven't done it in a <laughs> couple weeks, so maybe that's what's that's going on. Probably is. Um, what are what would you say are some basic things for people to look out for when they're going to pools for the first time for service? Wow. You know, there, I, there are so, so many. What do you, you probably have a couple off the top of your head that you're thinking of, right? Well, it may not be when you go there for, like, service, but when you install a pump, code says that it needs to be a GFCI pump, uh, breaker. Right. Yep. That That's probably one I see actually not happening a lot. Like, I just went to a job yesterday. They just replaced their pump, and... The installer did not put a GFCI breaker on it. Yeah, and that that is so common. I'm, I'm so I'm very involved in the Midwest Chapter PHTA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was president for many years. I'm currently serving as vice president. Um, as of today, I think it was we had a meeting today and uh, brought the new. I kind of ran my term out, if you will. But yeah. at any rate, we uh, do design wards for the chapter and and because there are many areas in the Midwest of the country that don't really have their own functioning chapter, our chapter is Illinois and Wisconsin, but we take um, entries for this contest for non-functioning chapters throughout the whole Midwest, Tennessee, Indiana, uh, Ohio, gosh, I don't even know where, I mean, all these different states, Nebraska even. Well, I've, in our contests, where where some contests are just contests, they're, they're, I'll say they're beauty contests for pools. Okay. We decided many years ago that we wanted to do what we could to try to help two things. One, educate the people who are building and also try to ensure that the pools are being built to standards in some extent. So we require pictures, photographic evidence of certain standards being met. And one of those is that there are GFIs, right? Yeah. So send us a picture of your sub panel or whatever it is to show that there's GFIs feeding it. And we've had some very prominent builders through the years, even even very recent years. This isn't going back, you know, 30 years. This is in the last handful of years who send in pictures and the only GFI in the box and the box is clearly marked what they're for. The only GFI is on the light. Oh, wow. The pumps are, you know, there are three pumps in the backyard because there's beautiful waterfalls and slides. And I mean, these are million dollar backyards are just gorgeous and they're not safe and not built to NEC code. There's no, the pumps are not GFI. Yeah. That I think is my biggest one. Um, if you do a Pentair pump, you better use the Pentair breaker, as we discussed before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, even though, like, not all the manufacturers require you to have a GFI breaker or GFCI breaker, put it on there. 
Yeah, the the code calls for it. Yeah, and you you need to have it. And and you're right, Pentair's pump, uh, they're in Teleflow pump specifically. The the other pumps, they're super flow or max flow, depending on whether it's Pentair or Stay Right. You can often get away without needing the Pentair, what they call PPD, mm -hmm. right? Personal protection device. Um, the uh, uh, IntelliFlow, though, it'll throw some confusion to the breaker and cause non-Pentair breakers to, to trip. trip at times. And the, the bad part... I heard that one. The bad part about it is sometimes you put a pump in and it doesn't start doing it for a year. And you, you instantly go, oh, well, the, the pump is bad and you, you put a new drive on the pump or you put a whole new pump in, but you find that it's still doing it. And I don't have an explanation other than I think that it takes, in some cases, time before that breaker is affected. And then when it is, it's it's almost like it's worn out or something, causing it to, to falsely trip. There's no problem with the pump, but the sensitivity of the breaker, the sensitivity of a standard GFI breaker is more sensitive than it needs to be. And if it is one of those breakers that's more sensitive than the pump was designed for, it'll cause these false trippings. So Pentair went to actually Siemens and had them build a breaker for them to their spec. And that's the breaker they sell. Mm -hmm. Now We had a handful of years ago through Pool Corp bought the Siemens breaker, which, you know, as far as we knew and, and the way it was presented to us, it was the Pentair breaker without Pentair's name on it. And because of yeah. that, it's less money. I would say through the course of a year, year and a half, probably 50% of those breakers we put in, we had to pull them out and put the Pentair breakers in because they, they ended up not functioning that way. The, the, and the breakers were still good. And we, in fact, we pulled them out, used them for other applications yeah. in the backyard that had to be. At least GFI you weren't out that blah, blah, blah. So, but we, we still, even today are still sitting with a number of these Siemens <laughs> breakers that, you know, it, it's not often that you need a 20 amp GFI breaker yeah. for other than a pump. And yeah. since we're primarily Pentair, you know, it just, but whatever it's, we've got them. We'll, we'll get rid of them eventually. I've also pump. seen where people forget about the breaker when they're putting pumps in and there was a yellow timer there previously, and they're putting a variable speed in and that's not correct either. Having it run through the timer, you mean, or, or they just, just that the breaker's not a GFI because they didn't look they, at it. They didn't even look at the breaker because the breaker's on the main panel. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so that's not correct either. Just, right. just, beca just because it could turn it off, the power on and off like a switch, does it mean it's doing the safety features of the breaker? Yeah, exactly. It's it's not. And, and the variable speed pump shouldn't be going through timers anyway. So, you know, that's, that's a big no-no. Um, Kelly and Dan will be right back after these messages. 
Have you heard there is a group of pool service professionals nationwide that are here to help grow and protect your business? The Independent Pool and Spa Service Association, known as IPSA, is here to help you. By joining the largest trade organization created by and for pool and spa service techs, you gain access to industry networking opportunities, exclusive educational offerings, IPSA's Tech for Tech route coverage, and more. So be independent, supported, and part of a professional community. Go to IPSSA.com to learn how to be a member of IPSA today. But the uh, breakers, you know, something that I see way too much, and I don't know if it's, I I think it's got to be laziness, because I sure hope people aren't doing this (laughs) knowingly, but somebody goes out and replaces a pump, Uh and that flexible conduit, seal tight, as I call it, coming from the timer box or the switch box or the junction box, whatever it is. And they have it pulled nice and tight. Well, it it reached the original pump. Yeah. But it's about an half an inch short to reach the new pump once you got the new pump plumbed in. Yep. But I see that in- all the time, and I'm like, what are you the, doing? The installer just puts it together and leaves that little gap between the fitting that's screwed into the motor and where the seal tight conduit itself begins and there you see your your black and red and green wire or whatever's inside of there just not dangling it's pulled tight too but you know just (laughs) out in the open and uh, i i just every time i see it i shake my head and and well um, people are like well i'm trying i i can't afford to redo that it's it's like well that's why you you need to look at the job before you do it. So w- when you quote it, um, my price for pumps are is not the cheapest, but that's because I'm considering the breaker I'm going to have to put in. Mm-hmm. Having, I automatically assume I'm going to have to redo the conduit on yeah, almost right. all these pumps because they're different. You know, the pumps Hayward had 10 years ago were designed differently than the ones that they have now. And it, there's a difference of about five, six inches. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, that 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 kind of stuff just really drives me batty seeing it, because to me, I I really think I know what it is that whoever's putting that pump in just didn't have any on his his or her truck. They got that far and they're well, that's not that important. But it is. It's a trip hazard. Yeah. Well, and and. I mean, there's a reason that those Water wires can are get su- into the, right. the pump. There's a reason that- those wires are supposed to be in that protective conduit, and uh, and when they're exposed like that, all kinds of bad things can happen. Um, we had we had one that uh, it was a variable pump, but it wasn't. I don't remember whose it was, but the the it had a an elbow screwed into the pump motor, right? for the for the seal tight and it was pointing straight up because it it you know the the whip of seal tight then went up to the switch box <laughs> behind it <clears throat> well what happened over time is the the drive unit filled with water yeah because of that you know and and then the drive unit is bad and i don't know about you but we don't replace drive units no there's you know, no point when a drive unit goes the whole pump is replaced because you know there there's it, it, the drive units cost almost as much as a pump. You don't get any real warranty with them and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, so. even when I do warranties, 
if it's a drive, just because it's hard to get drives, we'll do the power in. Yeah. You know, but yeah, once water's been in there, it, it's it's gone. Yeah. And, it's like and, it's like any electrical thing. Anytime water's in anything. Right. Right. And then when you replace the pump and you find that there's water in the conduit, that's another reason you have to replace it. You can't just <clears throat> oh, let's uh pour it out. Yep. And hope for the best. Yep. Now that's one. And the other thing that drives me nuts is screws missing. Yes. On, you know, you, you walk up to the, the Hayward control system box and you open the door and, and you see if it's supposed to have four screws. It's got two or, yep. you know, whatever it is. Um, so what I do so I don't lose those screws is I take, you know, take the plate off after I've taken them all off. I set them at the top. But after I'm done taking the plate off, I will then screw them back into the holes. Yep. That way I don't lose them. Yep. That's what I tell all of our people to do, too, is. Um, whether, and it doesn't matter, you know, we do a lot of work on hot tubs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, same thing, you know, you got the, you take the whole side of the hot tub off. There might be 15 or 20 screws and some of them holding it in. And, you know, by the time that hot tub is 10 years old, they're like, or <laughs> the, the thing's kind of bowed out because there aren't <laughs> enough screws holding it in. And then, and then when you get inside of it, the control box inside is the same way. You know, it's got one screw holding where it should have six and just crazy things like that. Um, Another thing, I think when you aren't going to a pool to see if it's something you're going to take care of is, you know, look at the control box, even if it's full automation or if it's for um, what's it called? Just like a yellow timer. But make sure everything looks like there hasn't been a fire in it. Yeah. Because. Sometimes people will do that. Um, there was another thing, but I, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> it just really look over everything and just make sure that there's nothing that stands out that could be unsafe and yeah. liable for you after you take over the pool. Yep. Oh, here's something else, too, that I see done wrong a lot. And this is more for the builders out there. Although, you know, today we're getting more and more people on the service side that They've got the old, uh, you know, just switches to turn their pump and their lights mm-hmm. on or whatever. And and they want to do it from a app on their phone, right? Everything's on our phones today. So someone like yourself or, or me, maybe we'll sell them a control system. Mm-hmm. And we'll go out and we'll we'll retrofit a control system, sub panel box and the whole nine yards into the into the backyard. The NEC code requires that there be a clear distance in front of any sub panel. Yes. That is basically a three by three square that you can stand on to open that box and stand there without bending over, you know, doing the limbo or whatever it is to get into that box. And I can't tell you how often even brand new pool construction that we see these sub panel control boxes mounted behind the heater or between the, you know, the right above the pump. And there's, you know, you got, you might be able to stand there, but you're straddling a pump with one knee up on a pipe over here and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And people, uh, and again, that I think is often a lack of knowledge of the code that says you should do this. Now, you know, our equipment pads, when we build a pool, um, we always, from from the before we even begin in the backyard, have a conversation about it because we occupy a lot of space. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, people are like, well, can you put the equipment over by my air conditioner? No, you, you've only got a three foot by four foot space there. It's never going to work. Well, or much, you have you want a heater and the windows right there. Well, yeah, you, yeah, that stuff, too. But our equipment pads are um, four foot by eight foot for okay. basically a what I'll say is a standard equipment set. Yeah. Pump, filter, heater. Um, we do in telecom. So we do have a four gallon acid tank that's on the pad we do mineral purifiers you know we, we were doing nature too now we're doing frog so that's on the equipment pad but these things are uh you know a, a four by eight pad that's got to go somewhere and and part of that is because of this control box and usually we mount our control boxes on unistrut if if people know what unistrut is um i mount drive, mine on landscape posts yeah you know, we at the usually at the end of an equipment pad, we'll drive in a couple of pieces of Unistrut um, redheads into the side of the port equipment pad to stabilize it down there. And then we use polymer deck boards spanning between the two, making about a three foot by three foot square that we're mounting the control box, our Intellichem, mm-hmm. our uh, flow cell for the Intel. Everything gets mounted onto that. Um, and then we've got all the space in front of that because it's at the end of the pad facing usually, you know, away from the pad that, that you can stand there and have access to all this stuff without having to lean over and bend and twist and all the other stuff. So I remembered what I was going to say when customers put yard lights out. And what I mean by yard lights over the pool is that those light you know, yep. like the light bulb ones that connect yep. one and you plug it in. Those are actually not legal to put no. over your pool because what if it was to fall in the pool when they Absolutely. were swimming? Right. I actually, when I had my route, if someone had it up there, I tell them that that is not safe. It's not to code. And I would not service their pool until it was taken down. Right. Yeah, that's that's a, a really really bad thing and you know not only can it fall in the pool but you're you're also whether it's you or the homeowner you know there's there's some stuff float on the pool so they go and grab their their yep. pole with the net and you know is is the pole going to hit that wire and is that wire bare is it going to you know electrocute us because of all that's that's horrible horrible things that uh, and i see that one a lot do. It's real common. You know, the, those lights are like the thing now, right, for the yep. last few years, like patios and, and you know, and it's a beautiful scene at night when it's done. Um, and, and to that point, too, we don't see them in much in pools we're doing because we try to get into the yard lighting aspect yeah. as well in the backyard. So we're putting, you know, professional grade landscape lights accentuating things that people don't feel the need to string those up but uh yeah i was i've seen them strung across you know screen rooms over pools you know at at homes in florida that uh you know and they're hanging maybe five foot above the deck yeah you know like you you throw a beach ball you're going to hit it for sure um pool noodles uh you know all kinds of craziness or you have pools that have slides 
mm-hmm. and they're actually tied to the top of the slide and used as you know an anchoring point to then drape <laughs> it across over to the the coach light on the side of the house where it's actually plugged into the little thing you screw in where the light bulb was you know to power yep. it up or whatever nonsense so yeah if you see any of that stuff out there tell people they they're they need to get rid of it. You know, we need to not be afraid to tell people and and not be afraid to walk out of unsafe environments and refuse to do things if people are not going to allow you to tell them what, you know, needs to be different. Yeah, you're not trying to be mean and di- a dictator. You're trying to be safe and make it so no one gets hurt, but also protect yourself. Right. You know, we've talked about, you know, just with the VGB regulations like people will go after you for a lawsuit for any reason when they have to pay all that money for someone who survived or their loved one dies so just and and they they feel that it's it's not i mean you know we're in a it's not my fault society we Mm -hmm. have been for for a long long time and no one wants to accept responsibility for their own actions and if they have these lights strung across the pool and you don't tell them that that's a safety hazard and then something does happen it's not uncommon that they say well my professional in the backyard never told me that was a Mm -hmm. problem they've been out here time and time again and never once said i should be worried about it so it's their fault because they're the professional in my pool environment. Um, so never be afraid to to stand your ground and, and elevate yourself above, uh, you know, the, the, the fear of losing a client or the fear of, of making someone mad or upsetting them. It, you know, it's, and, and be tactful when you're doing it. Yeah. You know, you don't, don't come across as a, you know, Gestapo kind of a, I'm the pool police. And yeah. I'm here to rip down all your lights and give you a citation. Now, <laughs> there, there are different ways that you can address people. And, uh, of, of course, there are always Google it a little bit and find some examples and, and then throw some stories out there as to why these things aren't, you know. Yeah. Hey, did you know that, uh, you know, how many times have we we heard about people being electrocuted in pools? A lot. For, for Especially various lights. reasons. Yeah. Uh, pool lights are, you know, I mean, that's that's very, very, unfortunately. Uh, well, if you think about that's probably the, the closest item to the pool is the pool light. Right. Yeah. So that's probably why, yeah, that's probably the number one killer inside a pool other than what drowning from being sucked down there and right. just not knowing how to swim. Right. Yeah. So. And then you have people who someone is electrocuted and then you have someone go into the pool and go after them and then they get electrocuted and it's just make it as safe as you can and just be knowledgeable. Um, yeah. Now, one thing I did think in this episode we should mention is please check your local licensing requirements. Yeah, absolutely. Because, um, um I know in the state of Texas, you have to have a certain license to work on electrical. You don't need any license to build a pool, but you need it to put a breaker in. Right. Um, uh, you said that in yours, you, there's not much licensing you have to do. 
No, there's not. I mean, there, there are like when we build pools, we have to have a licensed electrician. Um, you know, we have to we have to have them listed on the permit. We we're a general contractor. We have them listed, but the the licensed electrician is mostly a supervising electrician at that point. Mm-hmm. So the work is being done by the builders crews or, or unless they subcontract that part of it. But in our, you know, we're running conduits for everything that's in the backyard. And then the electrician that we contract, he is signing off on the permit and he is doing his own inspection of our work Mm -hmm. before the inspector is then coming out. And that's why the the one I mentioned about having to basically weld the copper bond wire to the aluminum coping, you know, he, he went out and took a look at it before the electrical inspection was called for. It's no different than if you had uh, hired an electrical company to come do it. Not everyone doing the work is a licensed electrician. Yeah. Right. But there is a supervising person that is the licensed person. So, you know, we, it's not that we, you know, are just kind of like wild west and running off doing whatever we want. There, there are some, some things, but on the service side of it, to your point, um, we don't, we don't have to have a license to be able to do electrical, to put in a pump or a heat pump or whatever. Yeah. See where I'm at. You need to have a contractor's license to do those things, but I'm only allowed to work on the equipment pad. I'm not allowed to work on the main panel, Uh, which, again, I have no problem with that. Um, Luckily, I have friends who are electricians, and they'll help me in those instances. Um, But if you do want to work on certain things, yeah, I'm an electrician. Unfortunately, in my experience, when it comes to pools, a lot of these electricians that show up when customers are like, oh, my pool electrical is not working, are idiots. Um, if you know the old school way on older pools, you would have a switch underneath the control mm-hmm. to turn the power off. <clears throat> I had a job where the, it was a new new pool owner bought the house and some, and I turned the equipment pad off because there was an issue. And they called their electrician friend to come fix the issue, but he couldn't figure out how to t- turn the pool equipment back on. Hmm. And I showed, and I'm like, well, it's it's outside of my service day. If you wait till my your service day, which is next week, I won't charge you. But if I come out of service call, I'm like, okay, I show up, I switch, the, I turn the switch, and they're like our electrician is here for hours trying to figure that out. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That happens. Well, and we, we said the other day that the most common wiring mistake on a GFI is that the electrician doesn't know to do what, that the neutral has to go back to the breaker. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're, that is way more basic than, (laughs) than the neutral going back to the breaker, but still it's, uh, you know, electricians, uh, many, many, many of them um, don't have a lot of experience around pools. Yeah, yeah I feel like pools is a specialty Yeah. Um, compared to the rest of the house or property. For sure. You know, the electrician that we do have, uh, we've been using him for all of the 35, six years that I've been 
doing this. And yeah. and he's very he knows pools, knows, you know, that kind of stuff. And if at whatever point in time I retire I don't that would be a little bit of a concern to me because we, <laughs> we'd have to find somebody else that would be so confident with uh, well hopefully anyways. that's after you decide to retire yeah I'm pretty sure that you know like like many of us this ends up being uh you know life bit, <laughs> my coffin will be a pool one day so well, we'll I think that we covered a lot today obviously yep. there's a lot lot more so please refer to the nec book for your state yep. um again if you have anything you want to ask us or comment or help us please do again on this episode we will when we release it we will put the resources that we might find helpful and uh that will be on the talking pools podcast facebook group um like us, share us, download our episodes so we know you're listening. And if you have those questions, message us on Facebook, or you can even email us at talkingpools at gmail.com. And thank, uh, thank you again to our sponsors who we love because of the hard work they're doing in our industry to educate others and make them safe. So Absolutely. IPSA and CMAC. And I think that's it for today. We have one more episode in the series, which will be tips and tricks that we've learned over our careers. And I guess we'll talk to you next time. Everybody have a great week. And as always, stay safe. We'll see you next week. Bye. just wanted to take a minute to say thank you for listening today. I'm hoping you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. Listen, it's been a couple of wacky, crazy, screwed up years from pandemic to Poolmageddon. I just want you to know that we are all in this together. If there's anything that we can do for you, send me an email at talkingpools at gmail.com. Again, that's talkingpools at gmail.com. We're here. This is your podcast. We are the Pool People's Podcast of the Pool People for the Pool People by the Pool People's Podcast. This one is about you. So thank you for tuning in and listening. Do me a favor. Click subscribe before you go. That way you don't miss an episode. 